And as has been our practice, uh, we not only review funny little hand symbols, we actually just read all the commandments as we go. And so we'll be reading the whole passage starting in Exodus uh, 20, verse 1, ending with our um, eighth commandment. Uh, Let's give our attention to God's perfect word. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath Sabbath day to make it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the many ways it's useful in our lives. I pray that you'd make it useful this morning by your Holy Spirit. Move in me, Lord. I am your servant, and I desire to bless these people with a meal that they can digest and will do them spiritual good. Lord, I pray for their hearts, their ears, that you would prepare them as well to receive your word planted, that it would, like the rain and snow, has no choice but to water the earth and makes it bud and flourish, and you'll seed for the sower, bread for the year. I pray that your word, as you promised in Isaiah 55, would accomplish what you intend to accomplish today. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So this morning, I think I have two groups in the room. And you tell me if you think you fit into one of these. The first one are the rule followers. You love to color inside the lines. You love a good list. Now, there's others of you that would rather color outside the lines, given the choice. You don't love boundaries, you love freedom. And you hate lists. Did I pretty much cover everybody there? We basically fit into one of those categories, don't we? Well, the good news is, Scripture perfectly speaks to both of you. So, Scripture will help. And we're going to see that as we look at the Eighth Commandment. This is the third commandment that consists of just two words in Hebrew. So it's very punchy. You shall not steal. Now, do we really need to hear a sermon on stealing. I mean, I doubt any of you self-describe yourself as a thief. Do we really need a sermon about this? Well, let me give you a list and see if any of these are true of you. Because we've learned, in, we haven't we seen so far, every commandment is like this big category, right? Everything covers all kind of ground. And this is true of this too. Let me just give you some examples. Not reporting all your income on your taxes. Breaking the eighth commandment. Stealing time from work, from your employer, wasting time on the job, not working a full day's work, breaking the Eighth Commandment. Taking sick leave when you aren't sick, 
being dishonest about how you report anything at work. Just cut some corners. No one will ever know. Uh, this was, became popular when I was in college, stealing music digitally. I just can't, Napster, if anyone remembers that, it was popular to uh, streaming music, just started. Uh, taking supplies from work, hotels, from school, that's uh, stealing. Habitually being late to meetings or just not showing up at all. You're stealing other people's time. I'm guilty of that often, although I'm working on it. We're all guilty of at least one of those. And if you think, you should realize and that stealing is a lot more than just shoplifting and embezzlement and doing you know, just the big stuff, right? It's all kind of stuff that we can steal. Now, I imagine already some, some of your defense attorneys showed up for your defense. But if you could ask them just to wait outside till we're done, I would really appreciate that. They are not a friend to you. We all have excuses that, well, there's a reason I did that, and there's a reason why this is okay. Now, I could spend the rest of our time basically preaching to you why all that stuff's really bad. I'm not going to, because I think there's another strategy to get the same thing. What I want to do is I want to change your whole frame of view, and once that happens, all this stuff will look unattractive. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a different strategy. Look at page 7. Now, both you who really like to color inside the lines and out are really going to find this helpful. Because if, if you like a list, you want, like, here, just tell me. Tell me everything, every list, everything on this, so I'll check every box, right? Or the other ones are like, please don't do that, right? So we're going to take a different approach. Look at page seven. How does believing that God is a generous father transform our view of possessions? I hope you leave today saying God is a generous father. Three ways it'll transform your view of possessions. First, it makes us content. Content with what God has given you right now. That's a good answer. There's a better answer. It reveals our eternal inheritance. Oh, that's even better. Then there's a best answer, even better than that. Reveals that God has generously given us himself. Okay, we'll look at them in that order. Let's talk about contentment first. This all begins with this foundational question. Do you believe that God is a generous God? and that he's your father. Is he generous? Imagine what it would be like if you were a street orphan. There's a lot of street orphans in a lot of countries around the world. One thing very common to them is thievery, right? If you've got no one to look after you, often turn to stealing. You ever seen Aladdin, right? There, there you go. There's a good, good story. My wife and I watched that recently. It was fun. But yeah, so they turn to stealing. But are you an orphan? I'm not talking about leaving mom and dad. Are you spiritually an orphan? If you're not a Christian, then yes, you are an orphan. Right? You must look after you. There's no one else you can count on to look after you except you. But if you're a Christian, you're not an orphan. You are a child of God. God has adopted you as a perfect father, and he's looking after you. This is really important. Hey, look, a kid's pencil. What do you know? You find all kinds of stuff in your pocket. All right. Um, God is your father. He really is. You are not an orphan. He, he provides for all your needs. Luke 13 says this so well. What father among you, listen dads, if your son asks for a fish, instead gives him a serpent. If he asks for an egg, gives him a scorpion. Kids, that'd be pretty bad if your dad did that, right? None of our dads do that. It says, if you then, dads are talking to, to us, who are evil... <laughs> know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Saying us human dads, we give good gifts to our kids, and how much more will God in heaven? 
So whether you had a good dad or a bad dad, God is much better. He's actually a perfect father. Now, this works in two directions. Think about your life. Have you ever gone without food or clothing or roof over your head? For most of you, you probably can't say yes. Probably say that the, you, whichever direction it goes, you've always had those things, right? You've never gone without. And if that's true, then God has been kind to you. But most of you have had more than that. You've gone on vacations. You've had extra money, more than just the bare minimum. Isn't that true? God has been exceedingly kind to you. So you can look and say, well, by my experience, I know that God is kind. But not only experience, we can look at it from Scripture. That God is a gracious Father. This will have profound impact on your view of possessions. Remember, that's how we're connecting it back. If you, are, if you know that God is kind, he's taking care of you, then you'll look at things differently. Do you know that you make the exact amount of money that God wants you to? It's not like he ran out of money when he got to you. If you are making 50000 a year, that's what God intended. Now, if your neighbor, neighbor's making $150,000, do not do not be envious of him. God gave you what he wanted you to have. If you have no children, that's what God wants you to have right now. And your neighbor has two, don't, don't covet them, right? So we want to be content. What you have is what God wants you to have. Now, I just jumped over to the 10th commandment, didn't I? We'll get to that in a few weeks. You know what the 10th commandment is? Do not covet. Covet is to be envious of what someone else says. I want what they have. Did you know that in order to break the 8th commandment, you almost always have to break the 10th first? There's a lot that makes sense. You gotta, I, I want what you have, and then you're going to go steal it. You don't, you don't steal before coveting. Kids, uh, ever on Christmas morning, have you ever looked at your sibling? Why did they get more gifts? Their gifts are bigger than mine. What do your parents say? Be content with what you got. Don't compare what you got. Adults, don't we need the same thing? Be content with what your father gave you. Don't look at what someone else got and be envious. Okay, so being content will protect us. But you've got to believe that God is actually a generous father. Tax season's coming, right? Why do people cheat on their taxes? It's because they aren't content. They're stealing from the government because they aren't content with what they have. God gave you what you want, what you need, and we must be content with it. Hebrews 13.5 says this, Keep your life free of the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, some of you, it's not as much contentment for having stuff. It's security. Do any of you, be, are, are you ever anxious about security? About money? Will we have enough? Well, what if it runs out? Will our retirement actually sustain us until the rest of our lives? Many look to retirement for security or money to security. Scripture here is so helpful too. It's a legitimate desire. We just look for it in the wrong place. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount he tells this great story. He says, hey, do the, do the birds like store up stuff? No. God feeds them. Does the grass worry about itself? No. God takes care of it. It says, which of you being anxious can add a single hour to your span of life? For your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. God, God takes care of our basic needs. Now, hopefully you're doing that little guide in your home. Uh, Brandon wrote it's great on the Ten Commandments. Adults, you can do it too. Um, but this week, you'll look at this catechism question. Um, there's, I think there's more back there on the table. Uh, you can get it after the service if you don't have one. What is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment forbids whatever does or may unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth and material well-being. Do you see what they did there? They said the Eighth Commandment not only applies, we all know we can't steal from others, 
right? We know that one. Did you know you can steal from yourself? You can. You can actually steal from yourself. Let me illustrate this. This is because there's a caveat to this, right? There are people who, what if you don't have it? What if you're poor? You don't have enough money. And it's actually not because God didn't give you enough. Maybe you're stealing from yourself. How would you do that? Laziness. Do you know laziness is stealing from oneself? If you're wasting your time, kids, do you like video games? You don't have to raise your hands. Do you like video games? I see a smile or two. So video games are great. I was the first generation when they exploded. When I went to college, the technology greatly increased. And so many other people in the dorms would play video games morning till night. And then they kept playing them half the night. What if you could do that? What if your parents let you, what if they never made you stop? You will have that experience in a few short years. Likely many of you will go to college and you will be tempted to do the same thing that many of my peers did, right? They were stealing. How were they stealing from themselves? They just loved the instant gratification. Now, adults, we aren't off the hook. Maybe it's Netflix. Maybe it's, you know, YouTube, social media, whatever, right? We can spend lots and lots of hours wasting time. It is stealing from ourselves. We steal sleep from ourselves. We steal the ability to make a good income. So you do need to ask yourself, if you don't have enough money, make sure you're working hard. That's a fair question. Am am I, do I not have enough because I'm stealing from myself? Does that make sense how you can steal from yourself? So that's an important question. And it's way more fun, isn't it, to waste time than to do hard work? Instant gratification, right? That's the That's the thing that if you can't control instant gratification, my hope is, kids, that while you're still in your home, if you love video games, please hear me, you want to be able to get to where you stop playing the video game without mom or dad telling you anything. Because when you get to college, they won't be there. And if you can't stop on your own now, you won't stop then. If you want to learn how to not steal from yourself later, you're going to have to learn it now. It's called self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. You can steal from this yourself. You can break the Eighth Commandment. But if you're working hard, then you can have confidence well, I guess this is what God wants me to have. 50,000 is what the Lord's provided, right? 75, whatever it is. I, I need to be content with what I have. So do check, make sure you aren't stealing from yourself. But if you aren't, then we must be content. Paul said this so well, Philippians 4, he said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He says, I know what it is to be brought low. I know what it is to, to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You ever heard that verse? I can do all things. The context of it is I can do the all thing of enduring poor, being poor, and not having what I need and having abundance. There's temptations with both. Okay, so contentment. Do you see the connection? Hopefully. First, if you are content with what God has given you, you will not be tempted to steal from others. Okay, that's the first. That's a good answer. The second is a better answer. Point two. Okay, how does knowing that God is a generous Father transform your view of possessions? It's realizing that what's the eternal um, inheritance you have coming. Okay, there are many Christians. I, I have a pretty good idea who I'm preaching to. Most of you are middle-class Americans, right? But if I was preaching in a lot of other places in the world, many of the people would be in poverty, right? They would say, uh, no, I have not always had the food I needed. I live in a cardboard box, right? They would say, no, I don't see these things. So this point would be very helpful for them. It's still helpful for you too, middle-class Americans. Okay, so here's your whole life, okay? You're born here, you die here, you're 85, 95, 100, okay? Now what we're going to do is we're going to zoom out 
This is your whole existence, okay? You live for however long, 85, 95, 100 years, but then, Lord willing, you're going to heaven if you're a Christian, okay? How long are you going to live there? Forever. It's a really long time, okay? So how much of your existence is your human life? Just a little, right? So all your earthly possessions are only in, can you take anything with you? Right? There's no trailers on the back of hearses, right? No, you can't take anything with you. So this is anything, any of your possessions only impact this. You're going to live all this time. So what does the Bible say about the rest of your existence? Let's look for a second. Hebrews 11. This is the Faith Hall of Fame. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles in the world. In the world. Strangers and exiles. This is not their home. What they realize is, I'm going to live here a short time, here a long time. And they look to eternity for what was promised. It says, they desired a better city. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he is preparing for them a city. The real reward of hard work is not in this life. The real reward of hard work is not in this life. It is eternity. It is eternity. That's where our, our gaze should be fixed. You ever heard of the prosperity gospel? It's bad, okay? If you weren't sure, it's bad, okay? But you know what? They're actually right about something. God intends that Christians have great prosperity in the life to come. They miss that key part, don't they? They're so focused on this, right? They say, God wants you to be really wealthy now. It's possible some there are wealthy Christians, not most of them, but but he definitely implies he wants you to, to be rich in heaven. And so they've got something right there, just they got their timeline all mixed up. Scripture says this, Romans 8.18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time. Now, they don't like talking about that. Suffering is not a word you hear they say a lot. Suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us in the future. Matthew 5, blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. That doesn't sound like fun. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. You get a reward, it's just after this life. Now, how does this help you with your view of earthly possessions? Right, that's what we're talking about. Here's how it helps. When you're zoomed out, why would you steal? Why, why would you care about something that only affects here? You're going to live most of your life here. Okay, kids, let me give you two options. Okay, you ready? All right, option one is we're playing Monopoly. You ever played that game? Play Monopoly. I'll give you $2,000 in Monopoly money. Is that good? Yeah, it's great, okay? Or that's option one. Option two is tomorrow I'll give you $1 million U.S. currency. That means money. Which would you rather have? Yes, good choice. So why would you want something that only affects the three hours we're playing Monopoly? It's a long game, but it's only three hours, right? Or what will affect the rest of your life? But we, we feel that way. Which do you get more excited about? Treasure in heaven or something in Monopoly, right? Our lives are short. They're like three hours. Look at Scripture. How does it talk about the human life? Many of you know you've had friends who've died, haven't you? You know life is short. Life is short. But eternity is long. Choose the reward forever. I mean, think about it. Why would you steal a Monopoly? Any of you tempted to cheat in games? Right, it's only in the game. You might get in trouble and be grounded like outside in real life, not just in the game, right? And so why would you 
so that's, do you see how this, with the, the um, implications of this for, for the Eighth Commandment? Why would you steal when it only affects this little part of your existence? I hope you see the big picture. <clears throat> now, this requires faith. Who's ever seen heaven? You can't see the inheritance that's to come. It takes faith. I know you say you trust God. I do too. But our view of earthly possessions reveals if you trust God. Your view of earthly possessions reveals if you trust God. Does that make sense why that's true? Because God said, I'm going to take care of you forever. We're like, ah, I'm not sure about that. John 14, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have not told you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Do you believe that Jesus is telling the truth or a lie? Has he really gone to heaven to prepare a place for you? It should impact how we view our lives on this earth. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You can generously give. That's the opposite of stealing. It's actually two steps removed from stealing. You can generously give if you realize that permanently protected for you is an inheritance in heaven. You can give away your earthly possessions now because of what you're going to get in heaven. See, it's two steps removed. So um, here's stealing. Stealing is I'm going to take what you have and make it mine. Okay. Then earning is I'm just going to earn my own money and buy my own stuff. And then generosity is a step up from that. I'm actually going to give my stuff to you. I earned enough that I can give it to you. See if you see this in this verse. All three steps. Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal. Hopefully you realize that applies to you, right? We're all thieves. We've stolen stuff, whether it's time or taxes or whatever else it is. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Do you see all three? Stealing, earning, and generosity. I mean, what could be better than having an inheritance that lasts forever? That brings us to our third point. There is something better. All right, what's the third answer? It reveals that God has generously given us himself. He's given us himself. You know, it didn't cost God anything to provide for all your earthly needs, for Christ to prepare a place for you in heaven. What really cost God a lot? Kids, do you know? You know, do you remember what we're celebrating today? It's Palm Sunday. This was the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem knowing that one week later, what was going to happen to him? He was going to die on the cross. Why did he die? Could you explain to a friend? What if someone else at school asked you, why did Jesus, a good man, die like a criminal? Kids, could you do that right now? I won't ask you, but could you? Could you explain to why did Jesus have to die? I hope you would say something like this. Jesus died because I'm a sinner and Jesus needed to pay the price for the sins. It's very simple. We're sinners. Jesus died for those sins. It's simple. You can explain it even to another kid. That's the great gift. And in that, it won our salvation. God is a very, very generous God. He not only gave you stuff for this life and not only for eternity, but he gave himself to you. Your kids are precious to you, aren't they? You would trade any of your stuff for a person. But you have something more precious than stuff. You have Jesus. And he gave us, he gave you, you don't have to wait. Can you have your heavenly inheritance now? Nope. You gotta wait till heaven. But what did he give you now? 
He gave you the Holy Spirit as a down payment. Now, kids, all the grown-ups know what a down payment is because when they bought their first home, they had to give a bunch of money to say, I'm really going to buy this house, a down payment, okay? God has given a down payment of the Holy Spirit to us. He says this in Romans 8.32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Oh, that's not the right one. Oh, there's another verse. Eh, We'll find it. Ah, Ephesians 1. He gave us the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee or down payment of our inheritance. You have the Holy Spirit. And so as a Christian, I hope kids, if you're growing up in a Christian family, you will begin to treasure more and more what it means that God is with you. Now, sometimes you might not want God with you because you're doing the wrong thing. I really don't want him to see that, but he's always with us. And he's given us himself. It's the best thing that we could have. It is your inheritance. You'll be with God forever. I would rather have God than all the stuff. Just like I'd rather have my wife and my kids than all the money in the world. Wouldn't you rather have God than stuff? That is your great inheritance. Why would we steal stuff when we have the living God living inside of us? Do you see this? So we first started with contentment with your stuff. Then we talked about a turn, um, your inheritance. And then finally, where that you actually have God in you, with you. Now, so we talked about generosity of God to us. Let's talk about generosity back to God. So we talked about you can steal from yourselves, right? You remember that. You can steal from others. Who are we missing? Who else can you steal from? Yourselves, others. It's God. Do you can steal from God? Now, of course, everything belongs to him. Generally, everything came from him. Does anything specifically belong to him? Let's do it in three ways. Time, talent, and treasures. Does all your time belong to God? Yes. Does any of your time especially belong to him? Yes. We studied this a while ago. It's the fourth commandment. Right? One day out of seven really belongs to him. You can steal from God by doing other things on his holy day, right? There's not time to unpack that. We already unpacked that. If you weren't here, listen to the sermon on the website. It hopefully will be really helpful to you. How he owns the Sabbath day and we can steal. Okay, so what else? That's time. Talents. God has given you gifts. You're good at stuff and he intends that you use it. So you can steal from God. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do them. He's prepared good things. If you don't do what you're supposed to be doing, just like at work, that's stealing from your boss, this is stealing from God. He prepared good for you to do. So your time, the Lord's day, and your talents, serving him, your treasure. Now, does all your money belong to God? Yes. You, if any of you have investment accounts, you have a financial advisor, a retirement fund, whatever, and you count on them to manage your money well, right? You've given them the money and said, hey, I, w- I hope it's still there when I, gra- I retire. God has done the same thing. Everything you have belongs to God and he's entrusted to us. Now, does any of your money especially belong to him? The Bible says yes. It's called the Lord's tithe. Tithe just means 10%. Now, for all, for all of you that love to color inside the lines, you love this because 10% is an easy number. You can put it in a calculator, Right? So don't, I'd love to preach a whole sermon on this, and I maybe will later. Let me just give you a really quick snapshot into this. So is this biblical? People argue and say, no, 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 that's the Old Testament. That's just the ceremonial law. It's certainly in the law of Moses. No argument. A lot about it. Did you know it actually existed before the law of Moses? Genesis 14, Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek. Well, that's interesting. The law of Moses doesn't even exist yet. Then a little bit later, Jacob promises 10% to God. 
Where did they get this idea? So tithe has existed long before the law of Moses. Let me quote one of my seminary professors. He said it so well. This is William Barclay. He said, The requirement to tithe preceded the Mosaic law, was codified in it with the ceremonial aspects added, and was affirmed by Jesus as binding on his followers. So it's before, during Moses, but then also Jesus affirms it. So let me read that. This is Matthew 23, 23. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. So he's saying, you're, you're tithing on all your mints or all your herbs, but you're not paying attention to justice and mercy. So then listen to what Jesus says. These you ought to have done. He said, you're right to tithe, but you need to not leave off justice and mercy and faithfulness. So here Jesus is again affirming this. Now, what does it have to do with the Eighth Commandment? This is stealing from God. Malachi connects these dots for us. He says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you, God? In your tithes and your contributions. Bring in the full tithe into the storehouse, there that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. God doesn't often say put me to the test. Says the Lord of hosts, if I want to open the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you blessings until there is no more need. Now, I did say you can't take your possessions with you. That's actually only half true. Do you know you kind of can? Here's how. When I was a kid, I used to have dreams. This is a dream through my whole childhood of finding money. Like I'd find like money under a table and like I'd find, you know, I'd hold it in my hands. And, and finally I learned as I got older, in the dream I'd say, I'm going to wake up and I can't have the money anymore. And so I'd hold on to it, wake up, clenching my pillow. It's true, I did that all through my childhood. You can't get, so what lesson have I learned in life? You can't get money out of dreams. Sorry to spoil it, kids. What about this life? Can you get anything out of this life? Listen to this Bible verse. Matthew 6, he says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You can actually, in this life, take your possessions and invest them in a bank in heaven. Wild, isn't it? As we give back to the Lord, we're actually investing. So out of this, you can actually affect this. God actually says he will reward what's in heaven. You ever heard of Kraft Food? So James Kraft, the founder of it, said this, The only investment I ever made which has paid consistent increasing dividends, is the money I have given to the Lord. Interesting, huh? He was right. The only money you can invest that guarantees return is given to the Lord. Now, all of you rule followers are already thinking, now, is it my gross income or my net income? Glad you asked for the rule followers. Which comes first, tax, your pre-tax or after? It's a, this is an easy answer. So which comes first, the government or God? It's a very simple one. Just you give off your, your full income. You, and so scripture says off your first fruits. Okay, so there you go, rule followers. Now for any of you that are not rule followers, you didn't like that, all that whole conversation. Look, here's what, you can set all that aside. What scripture actually says, take this verse with you. 2 Corinthians 9. It says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one should give what he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. You guys like that, right? Because you don't like rules and lists. For God loves a cheerful giver. Scripture only says that's the minimum, but it's not. You can say, hey, I, I don't do any of that stuff. I, I give abundantly, I give above that. You can. 
So God wants, in the New Testament, it is not, this is not church tax. It's not like another bill you pay. Right? That is a wrong view of it. God owns everything. And so he owns both your time, your talents, and your treasure. Can you see that? And so we can actually steal. You can steal from yourselves, you can steal from others, and you can steal from God. But we won't do that if we focus on these three things. Being content with what God, God gave you all of it, and it's by faith that you give back. And you guys are amazingly doing that as a church. I don't know who gives, but I just see the grand total of it. And it's amazing how much God is providing for our church. It's really cool. I've seen how much you serve. Many of you are on like 12 different teams. Hey, thanks for serving on 12 different teams. God has given you talents to hang pipe and drape, and you're using that gift, and we appreciate that. And so you can sing. Thank you for singing. I hope you see. If you focus on the details just to stop stealing, that will not transform your lives. If you focus on how generous God is, he says, test me. He generously gives to us any of the commands, any implication for yourself, for others, for God, will not be a burden to you when you realize that God is generous. If God is a generous God, you will not go without. God will take care of you. And best of all, he's in you and he's with you. As we close, this is one of my favorite Bible verses. Paul said this, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ is in you. Your whole life is hidden in him. All your time, talents, and treasure is nothing. Your whole life ended with Christ on the cross. He's given you new life that we get to enjoy with him. So I pray as you go that that's what you'll remember, that you have a generous father. He'll take care of your needs now and forever, and he's given you himself. Let's pray. Lord, you are a generous father. I pray you'd help them believe that. And we get all the way to the implications of the Eighth Commandment. This affects every part of their lives. Lord, we want, as we study your law, not to be burdened with more lists to follow. Rather, you would transform our whole frame of view to understand that you ask so little and you give so abundantly. Lord, I pray that I would live like that. I pray that we as a church would live like that, generously giving to all to others. We would not steal, Lord. You know what it looks like in my life. You know what it looks like in all of their lives. Lord, I pray that you would transform our perspective and impact even how we view our stuff. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.